Hi, I'm Pastor Nick with Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us in our online service. If you're interested, we also offer in-person service every Sunday morning at 1030. We have Wednesday night activities for youth, kids, and college age every Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And there's food there. So, now, let's see what the pastor has to say. For what it means to know that we have believers who are strong in their faith, who are ready to step up and step out when God calls us. Uh, what a blessing that is. The message that Robert just shared with us through song, the message that Rex, Rex has shared with us through his life and through God's Word. It's all a message of God's power and ability. I thank God for your presence here today, and I pray that God would work through each of our lives to help us understand what it means for us to love the same way that He loves us, with, without looking at all those faults that are in our lives and saying, no, this one's not worth it. This one's too much trouble. This one's way too difficult. Sometimes I wonder if he doesn't look at me and think those very same things. But I thank God for the fact he doesn't. He loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to die on Calvary's cross for all of our sins. And in that light, we are called to live our lives and the faith that is ours through God's word, through the words of James, without having partiality be a part of who we are. The last two Sundays, we've looked at the first chapter of James' epistle. In those verses, we found the foundation of what it means for us to understand the basis of what he tells us in the remaining four chapters. That first chapter of James communicates to his brothers the necessity of having a living faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not something that we had. It's not something that is a part of our past, but it is something that's a part of our presence and that every day we live in him. And that's the basis of what James seeks to share with us in that first chapter of the book of James, is ours is to be a living faith. Ours is a faith in a Savior who is alive and not dead. Ours is a faith that is to be shared with the world that is desperate to hear that message. And we are called to live it and share it and love it every day of our lives. If Jesus Christ is Lord... And my prayer would be, if he's not Lord of your life today, this would be the day, as Ron's already said, as others have already said, this would be the day of salvation for you. This would be the occasion that you would come to know and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even as James struggled through that difficulty. I've already tell, told you, I believe this is James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. Remember what happened when James showed up when Jesus was going to teach? They thought, James thought, and the rest of the family thought he was crazy. And they came to get him, to put him away. And then they, James told him, you ought to go to Jerusalem to talk. Don't spend all your time in Galilee. Don't be there. You need to go where the big, because he thought maybe Jesus was going to be one of those speakers that was able to draw crowds. And he had probably seen that. But Jesus isn't about draw, drawing crowds. Jesus is about changing lives. And that's the message that is to happen through our lives. And one of the things that James tells us in this second chapter of James is for us to examine our lives to see if we have partiality as a part of who we are. 
Are there, there are people that you look at and you say, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. I don't like that person. I don't care anything about that person. Those people, there you go. Have you ever said those words? Those people really bother me. I just can't stand to be around them. I'm here to tell you today, God is calling each of us to recognize that those people are the people that Christ would have us go to that Jesus would have us go to. Because as the Pharisees looked at Jesus, what was their major complaint? He spends all his time's time with publicans and wine-bibbers. That's the way it is in the King James, I believe. Alcoholics and publicans, tax collectors. Jesus calls us to recognize that he loves us for who we are. And it doesn't make any difference how old you are, Hannah. Whether you're five or six or whether you're seven or eight, Jesus loves you. And Jesus died for you as he did for me and everyone in this room that's trusted him as Lord and Savior. And who are we, who am I is a better way to look at it. Who am I to say that you're not worthy of God's grace because I don't like you, because you're not the same color that I am, that you don't come from the same place that I do, that you don't talk like me. Uh, and that's probably a good thing for most of you here today. But the message is pretty simple. James calls us to recognize that. And that's the passage that Rex shared with us this morning of what it means to recognize that every one of us, because Christ died for us, is someone. Is someone worthy of God's love. Someone worthy of salvation in Jesus Christ. Someone that God cares about. And you may be here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, God doesn't care about me. If he did, he wouldn't have let all the things that have come on my life happen to me the way they're happening right now. Those are the times in our lives where we need to look and see where the real source of our hope is. That's in a Savior who looks at us and loves us just the way we are. And he gave his life for us just the way we are, that we would understand that and we would recognize that God's love is always there. Now James, as he writes, he has a little bit of Bob in him as he does this. You see, in verse 1, in that very, in chapter, you're all in chapter 2, right? James 2. See where he says, my brothers, I've got something to tell you here. Anytime you see, that's the word Adelphos, he talks about his brothers, he loves them. Actually, it's not even the word Adelphos. It's the word agapidos, all right? And it means love brothers that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Those people who have that relationship with Jesus, that's where that source is. And he calls them and he tells them, I have something for you. For the next couple of weeks, whenever you hear the word, my brothers, know that you're in for a whopping. James is going to let us have it at that point. I think James does that for a reason. I think he does it probably for one or two reasons. Number one, because James knows what it was like not to trust Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I think James experienced that. and He experienced the change that came in his life when Jesus Christ became his Lord, not his brother, his Lord. And that is what we are called to understand. James did that, and when he did that, he experienced that personal relationship, Christy, that we were talking about this morning in Sunday school, that we have a personal relationship with the living God, the God who created all of the universe, loves us and knows us, and he knows all about us, and yet he still loves us. What a blessing that is. I think that's one of the reasons. I think the other reason might be because James wants to be sure that he tells us these things. 
He's doing it in love. Because remember what we said that word was when he says brothers? That is the word for a godlike, agape love. That we have that kind of relationship for one another. That we are tied with the body of Christ. And he shares that message with us and he knows that it's going to be difficult for us because he knows the lives that are ours because James experienced that same kind of thing in his life as he came to Jesus Christ. God calls us to recognize his love for us. We see it in Acts 10. Remember Peter, he was called to go see Cornelius, Cornelius who was a, a pagan, right? Basically, that's what he thought. He was a Gentile. So he might as well have been whatever. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. What did God do? Remember the sheet that came down? Peter, take, kill, eat. Whoa, wait a minute. The rules say I can't do that, God. I'm not going to do that because you told me not to. Remember what God tells him? He said, anything I've created is okay for you to eat. Anything. I'm the one that's done this, not you. This is my command to you. Did Peter understand that? I don't know that he understood it all. But you know what Peter did? He got up and he went to Caesarea to be with Cornelius. God calls each of us to look at our lives and look at those people that we think, oh gosh, I, I don't like that guy. He said something to me when I was in high school and he bothered me and I've never forgiven him for that. How many such situations do you deal with every day in your life where there's someone that has done something to you that's so egregious that you can't stand it and you can't get it out of your mind? I'm here to tell you two things. Number one, that person's probably never thought of you another day since that time that you had a problem with them. They're not worried about what you're thinking, but what the enemy is doing in you is causing you to eat up all of your emotion, all of your time, and dwelling on that attitude that you have that God simply says to us, let go. Let that go. I'll take that from you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and what will I do? I'll give you rest, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Come, let me, trust me, trust me about this. I'll take care of you. He told that to James. And James finally came to understand what that meant. God shows no partiality. That's the message that we see. That's the message that we see in Acts 10. A message that's very simple, a message of what it means for us to understand that relationship, because this is what Peter says in Acts 10, 34. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God loves us because he loves us. And he loves us because he is God. And God is, as John says, God is love. You want to know what that relationship is all about. But what do I do? I pigeonhole people all the time. And I look at people and I think, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that person because. Because the, the car that they drive, because the house they live in, the neighborhood that they live in. I, I pigeonhole. I have a tendency to do that and say, well, okay, yeah, these people, I'm, okay, but, but surely not these people. Now, see, I'm glad none of you have ever done that in your life. None of you have ever done that in thinking about the people that are around you all the time. But what God has done for us and his love is he gives us the ability to share with those people that need him the most. And we see them and we know them and we recognize them and we are called to go to them. 
and tell them about the love that is in Jesus Christ, about the relationship we have with him. And then we share with them something that is ours and ours alone. And that is the personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Something that is unlike anything anyone else in this room or in this world can ever have because it's mine. It is my testimony, my life, my relationship before Christ and after Christ. And we're called to live those lives in such a way that the world sees and knows that Jesus Christ is real in us. And the hope that we have carries beyond the pale of this earth to a relationship that we know will always be ours in Jesus Christ. Always be ours, that he will never leave us or forsake us. He begins this with that command. Look at verse 1 again. There it is. Do you see it? My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. That word favoritism means in the Greek to lift up someone's face, all right? But what it means basically is that you have that shining face, that somebody that you admire, somebody that you think is really great, somebody that you think is fantastic, someone that you would like to be like. How many of us in this room, now, don't shake your heads yes, don't say amen, would like to have a bigger car, a finer, nicer car? Maybe you're going to have a car. And you say, I'd like to have something like that. Maybe you look at where you live. And what you think is, oh, Lord, surely I can do better than this. Can't you do something different for me, Lord? Can't you? I'm not, was about to, no, I don't even say that. Uh, you know where I was about to sing a song from the 60s that I won't sing, that I do know it and goes in my mind, but we don't need to sing that song right now. And we think about the things that we want, and we want those things, and we desire those things, uh, but that's not what God calls us to focus on. What is it he wants us to focus on? He wants us to focus on him. Not the things of this world, not the things that our hearts may desire, but that our hearts would desire him and him alone. And in that, we recognize what this personal relationship is all about, even as it is with anybody. Karen and Kim are together all the time. As a matter of fact, that's the way you refer to them, isn't it? You don't talk about Karen. You don't talk about Kim. You talk about Karen and Kim. Bob and Karen. That's the way it goes in our life. Now, I would tell you that my mother and father love Karen more than they love me. But you need to know this. We called up one day and Karen's dad said this to Louise, Karen's mother. Karen, it's Bob and uh, he had forgotten his own daughter's name. They, <laughs> I claim it. All right, I claim that. That's mine. That's mine. All right. They love me more than they love Karen. Is that the way we do relationships? No, it's not. We simply love because God loved us first. And we recognize in that what it means to share that relationship we have with somebody that we love. If you really love someone, you want to tell people about that person. We don't have enough time for me to tell you how much I love Karen, but I can guarantee you we don't have enough time for me to ever begin to tell you how much God loves me. God calls us to that kind of relationship. He calls us to this relationship that is not a matter of what someone wears. That person, you know what they call him in Greek? Here comes. He's the gold-fingered man. The word is lampre in the Greek, and it means to shine. 
He had a shining robe on, but he had a gold finger too, because what did he have? He had a ring on his finger. Not everybody had gold rings, but this man did. He was a person who was worthy of everyone's attention. At least that's what the world told people. Is that, isn't that nice? Isn't it nice to know that we don't go through those kinds of things today? That what someone wears or what they drive or where they live doesn't have any impact on us anymore. We don't even think about those things, do we? Hmm. If you don't believe so, then you miss the first five or ten minutes of what my message is all about. We do. We str- and now, here comes this man who comes in wearing basically rags. It's interesting, James used the same thing to describe him when he talks about moral filth in the first chapter. You can look back over in chapter 1, if you have your Bibles open, you'll see it. This man is in rags, he is in tatters. What happens when the first man comes in? Well, we're sure glad to see you. Man, we've been waiting for you. Uh, We heard about your bank account, we saw your car when you drove up. We know all the things you've got. We know, man, what a person of influence you are. What a great thing it is for you to be a part of this church. And we want you to come in and give you the primary seat in the synagogue. They used to meet in the synagogues when the church first formed. But you know what they called the houses where they met afterwards? After they weren't allowed to meet in the synagogues any longer? The same Greek word. And that's where they were. In someone's home. And as they're there, everybody is fawning. Everybody knows what that word means. Oh, oh, we're so happy. That's what they're doing with this person. Do you remember what James said about this other person? Okay. Uh, Man, it's terrible. I grew up in the 60s. All I can think of is David Clayton Thomas, all right? Uh, God bless the God bless the man who's got his own. That's all I can think of. But the message is this guy's in tatters. He doesn't have anything. What do they say to him? Well, you can come on in, sit over there in a the corner. Basically, what it says. Better yet, sit at my feet. You know what that is a sign of? Servitude. Sit at my feet. You can sit here with me. Everybody know you're with me. I want you to think about this. We're going to watch this real quick. Not, not, you're not going to watch it, but I'm going to watch the time and tell you this. What do we know about these two men? Look back at that passage again. What do we know about them? Why were they there? Why were they there that day in worship? Do you see it? There's nothing said about them. Those two men were there For one reason, and one reason alone in James' story, in James' illustration, they were there to hear the word of the Lord. And what did they hear? Oh, Brother Smith, what a great love. Oh, you come over here and sit over here. Those two men came to hear the living word of God and to understand God's love in their lives. Grace Baptist Church, We have one message, and that message alone is the love, the death, the sacrifice, the resurrection, and the presence in God's presence right now of our Savior, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our message. That is what we are to be about. But did those people, those two men, did they hear that that day? It's so easy for us to slide into that pit 
of thinking that we have to impress people or that people have to be impressed by us. James says, don't show favoritism. Don't do this because everyone, everyone that you meet, everyone you talk to is someone who needs to know Jesus Christ. That's what that map is out there. Don't forget that. Don't forget that map out there, but I'm not talking about a map. Don't forget about the responsibility that we have to share that hope that is ours in Jesus Christ with everyone we see. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. That is your testimony. That is our lives in him, that we would live that life, we would live that faith, and that the world would see that Jesus Christ is real to us. Everyone is someone. Secondly, honor for the dishonorable. Look at verse 6 and 7. Who's gets, who gets dishonored here? See if you can figure it out. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? There's a lot that goes on here in dealing with that issue of favoritism. But James says something to me that is another one of those head slap moments that I forget about too quickly. Do you hear what James is telling me? He doesn't say brothers in this passage, but he's already said it. When I do things, when I show favoritism, when I show partiality in my life, who is dishonored? It's important for us to look at that second part of that verse. It's not us. It's the name of Jesus. That makes the things that we say and do so important. Because the world is watching us. And they hear us. And they see us. And they know us. And what's the first thing they say? Aha! Aha! Yeah, I told you so. I knew you were a bunch of hypocrites. I knew it was all fake. I knew it was all phony. And I'm going to tell everyone in the world about what's going on in your life and what terrible thing you've done. James makes it clear to us that we bring dishonor on the name of our Savior when we disobey God's law. James gets into that. He talks about what it means for us to recognize what sin is. It's pretty simple. Sin is sin. He says it doesn't make any difference whether you commit adultery or whether you commit murder. It's still a sin. It doesn't make any difference whether you <clears throat> hit somebody or you simply talk about them behind their backs. It doesn't make any difference whether you say someone is not worthy of being here or whether you say, oh, yes, we want you to be here. It's all a sin, James says. And it hurts the body, the body of Christ. This church is about making a difference in this community and has made that difference for over 100 years, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you know that? If you haven't figured that out yet, believer, you better know it, and you better be able to share it in less of 15 seconds. 
that God recognized the sin that was in our lives that separated us from him because of his nature being a holy God. And he knew that there was nothing that you and I could ever do in our lives to make things right between our lives and God. And so God sent his one and only son who gave his life on Calvary's cross for your sins and mine and died and raised himself or was raised by God on the third day. And he is seated by the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for every believer in this room. Was that 15 seconds? We ought to be able to share that. That is the message. That is the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. And when we don't, here's the kicker. Oh, this is the bad thing. This is the really gotcha here for me. James has gotten me again. When I have that opportunity and I fail to do it, whose name have I dishonored? I've dishonored the name of of the Savior who gave his life for me. We need to each examine our lives every day. James is telling us that. And see where we stand in what we do and what we say. What is our priority? Is our priority about being here and keeping a nice room and having a good time and good fellowship? Or is our priority telling other people about the love of Jesus Christ, that they understand and know what that relationship is all about because we have told them what Christ has done in our lives. That's the message James is sharing. He says, don't show favoritism. And then you take a good look at where you are and recognize when you do things that you know you shouldn't be doing, you're hurting the Savior who gave his life for you. But there's a final point that James makes, a message that is there for us to understand what it means for us in our relationship with Jesus Christ to show and demonstrate what it means to love Jesus the way that he loves us. Look at verses 8 through 13. If you really keep the royal, excuse me, If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, I do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will always be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's a message that God has for us, and that's the basis of that relationship that we have with a Savior who looks at us just as we are and dies for us anyhow, because we are worth that to him. Jesus said these words, if you love those who love you, it's Matthew 5, 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. There's a call that God has for us to do. 
There's a message of what it means for us to understand that. And so many people in the church miss it, including the one who stands before you this morning. There was a teacher of the law that came to Jesus and he had a question for him. Which is the greatest commandment? Do you remember how Jesus responded? I think we've got that clip if you have it. No, if you want to look it up in Matthew 22, 36. 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. There's a point that Jesus makes there. I want you to think about that. You need to think about that. We need to think about that as we leave this place today. If we really believe that, how many people will we see in the next 24 hours that we won't talk to? Because we don't have the time, we don't have the inclination, or we just don't care. God calls us to recognize what it means to love those who are our neighbors. We're also called to love those who are not our neighbors because the world does that. Those people that are kin, you have to love them. Those people that are near you, you have to love them because they might tell other people in your neighborhood what you're really like. But God calls us to love everyone. Even those, Jesus says what? Even those who despitefully use you. I hate those people. I'm not going to do that. Christ calls us to love as he's loved us. How does the prayer go? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Where's Jody? Where is she when I need her? Our debtors, doesn't make any difference however you do it. How as we forgive others. We ought to stop and think about what it means to be forgiven by a God who knows everything we've ever done, every thought we ever have. I can't fathom that. But then you know what? I'm not God. I'm not supposed to be able to. But he does. He knows my heart. There's a message that James has for us here. It's the same message that he had at the beginning in chapter 1. Anybody remember what that was? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Take a look at this book. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to read the whole thing through a couple of times. You know what? It'll probably take you just reading it through maybe 10 minutes. Take 10 minutes out of your time and read and see what it means, not simply to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word and not showing partiality in our world, but recognizing that Christ died for all of us. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of life that you offer us. You give it to us twice. That's what Nicodemus didn't really get. Jesus tried to explain it to him. Uh, he came, that is Nicodemus came to Jesus, recognizing that Jesus had something that he didn't have and he wanted to know what it was. 
And even after Jesus told him uh, about what it was, he still didn't understand. And that is how much you love us. That you've given Jesus to die on Calvary's cross for our sins. For God, you love the world so much that you gave him to die for our sins. And in his dying, all we have to do is to believe that he is your son, to know that relationship we have with him as the source of our salvation, to confess him before this world that Jesus is Lord, and we have that personal relationship that we've been talking about all this morning long that is ours, unlike anyone else's, same principle, same steps, but it's mine. It's all about him. It's all about what Christ has done for me. And that's the message that we are to live. And that's the message that we are to share with a world that is desperately looking for it. Church members who are trying to figure it out. Church members that are failing. Church members that are struggling. The body still has problems. The body still has trials that we go through. But Father, the hope is ours that you are there with us and you will never leave us or forsake us, Father. And it is in you that we put our reliance. It is in Christ that we put our hope. And it's through him that we have real life in this world for now and forevermore. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank this you is for our time in. of invitation, an opportunity for each one of Contact us. All of our information is available on our website gbcevansville.org. You can also contact us through all of our various social media accounts. Or you could just give us a call. We'd love to hear from you.